Amen. Good morning. You guys doing well? Good. If kiddos, you guys are dismissed as we're turning on the lights. Um, you guys have, I know y'all have some extra special things going on in kids this morning, so go have fun with that. If you're not in kids, uh, grab your Bibles, opens with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we are going to land. Uh, and it's, it's so exciting to be with you guys today. Can you turn me down just a little bit, sir? I feel a little uh, boomy. Does that sound better? Cool. It was probably good beforehand, but uh, I'm just excited to be here. It's a lot warmer than sunrise. Raise your hand if you were at sunrise service. Are you thawed out yet? No, it was, it was great, but it was like cold to the bone. Uh, so I'm grateful to be inside. Uh, I'm just excited to celebrate Easter with you guys. I mean, this, this is it. This is the time we get to celebrate, we get to rejoice uh, because God wins and the story isn't over and our story isn't over. So we're just going to slow down and celebrate and remember that this morning. Um, but the cool thing, just the way we teach, going Bible or verse through verse, um, is, is the Bible just preaches the gospel every week. Um, so sometimes we will stop and teach another text for Easter Sunday, uh, but this one just works perfectly. So Hebrews 10, um, we're going to be 32 through 39. And as you're flipping, I just want to draw our attention to one thing, just one thing quickly. And this will kind of set the tone for the text this morning. It's just simply this, how quickly we forget Right? I mean, I know some of us are accident prone and, and we're a little ADD in our thinking, but, but just in general, how quickly we forget pain, how quickly we forget suffering, how quickly we forget even the good things just happen to leave our. So, here, I mean, here's probably the best example I can think of. Uh, we've had four kids, I've been in the room four times, and it is a nightmare. And the moment that this happening, my wife will look at me and say, Never again. Within an hour after the child is born, we should have another one. Forgetting the pain of childbirth, or my kids do this all the time. Dad, will you please get me this? Dad, will you please get me this? While that new thing is in their hand, Dad, you never get me anything. You forget what's in your hand right now, in your possession. That McDonald's flurry is, McFlurry is still in your stomach, but we forget. And what we're going to see this morning is how often... This is true of us, and this is true of those in the Hebrews that they were receiving this letter because we just forget. And so this morning, if there's a theme for this, the theme out of this text, the theme of taking communion together is just that we would remember, that we would slow down for this next 30 minutes, 35 minutes, and just remember the calls of Christ and what he accomplished for us. So Hebrews 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 32. Hebrews 10, verse 32. But recall, or other translations would say, but remember, the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which was a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed 
but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So let's pray this morning as we read God's Word. Father, would you uh, open our eyes to see the beauty of this text? Would you slow us down enough to remember what it is that we're celebrating? And not just what we're celebrating, but, but the ramifications of that. And not just the ramifications, but the motivation behind what we're celebrating. Jesus, would this not just be another Sunday, another day? Would we not be so preoccupied with what's coming tomorrow or this week, Father, but would we slow down and would we remember all that you've done for us and all that you will do through us? It's your name that we pray. Amen. So there's a lot going on in this passage, so I just kind of want to work through it real quick to get to this idea of remembering, because we see very clearly, verse 32, but recall or remember the former days after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle and suffering. So this is about 15 years after uh, the Roman Emperor Claudius just kind of went after the Jews, and that simultaneously as their persecution was was Jane, Greg, excuse me, gaining ground. There we go. Uh, in the, in Hebrew for the Hebrews. I should not preach twice in one day. So as persecution was gaining ground for those the Hebrews, if. From Rome, there's also this growing persecution from the Jews. So these are Jewish Christians, right? These are ones that have grown up in the Jewish tradition. They understand the law, the Torah, all the traditions, all the rich history of the Jews. But when Christ came and Christ died and Christ was resurrected, they converted from Judaism into Christ, into Christians. They were the first generation of Christians because this took place about 30, 35 years after Christ had ascended into heaven. So the persecution from the Jews were ramping up because they said, you are no longer welcome here. You're no longer welcome in the tabernacle. You've got to get out. The persecution from Rome was coming, and we're going to get to this in a second. But we see after they were enlightened, after they had trusted Christ for their life, they endured really hard struggles with sufferings. And this word struggle here is really fascinating because it's from the Greek athlesius, which is where we get the word athletic. So it wasn't suffered in a passive sense. It was suffering in an aggressive sense. It was a spiritual athleticism that was allowing them to hold their ground. So even though they were being suffered, they were going through suffering, they were going through persecution, they were going through hardships and calamities because they had home, no home in Rome. They had no home with their Jewish siblings and family members. They were still staying on the offense. The spiritual athleticism was growing. The church in Rome was growing. Persecution couldn't touch them. And so the author here was saying, remember, recall all that took place. And so now we're going to see what took place. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. So this idea is publicly exposed is literally a public theater. So this persecution, this suffering, this ridicule was not happening behind closed doors. They were bringing them to the city squares, if you will, and drawing attention and mockery to those right in front of everyone in Rome. So this suffering and persecution wasn't behind closed doors, wasn't something to like, well, I mean, that's not a big deal. It was a big deal. It was city center, public humiliation, but it was also being partners for those who were so treated. So this spiritual athleticism wasn't just, hey, man, like, leave me alone, go after them. It was literally the church in Rome linking arms together uh, so that they would not be ridiculed, they would not be destroyed. So even if there was a fight going on that did not include them, they're going to jump in. 
Even if their brothers and sisters are being ridiculed, but they were fine, no. They're going, jumping in there on the offense of the spiritual athleticism. And it continues, verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison. Now, prison in our day was not prison in their day. If you did not have someone bringing you food, water, clothing, blankets, any of that stuff, you would die in prison in Rome. There's just no end-ifs or buts about it. If someone was not bringing you provisions, you were a dead man. And so these Christians, these uh, first-generation Christians, even when people were being arrested for their faith, they were putting themselves out there to go take food, water, all that they needed, knowing that they full well could be in prison right next to them. I mean, if they've already arrested Christians for being a Christian, and I am a Christian taking supplies to my Christian brother, what's going to stop them from arresting me right there on the spot? Nothing. But this spiritual athleticism pushed them to go take care of those in prison. Now, some of these I'm, I'm tracking with. I'm like, man, I, I could do that. I could get behind that. Uh, I, I, just between you and me, I draw the line here. Verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Joyfully accepted the plundering on your property. So this is where it got to. That those in Rome, Roman soldiers, Roman guards, Roman authorities, would just come into your house and take whatever they wanted. I mean, Christians in this first generation were so looked down upon that it was normative that you could just walk into their house and plunder. You could just walk in their house and take things. Now, Easter Sunday, I can't lie because I'm in church. I'm not about that life. But they were. And not just about it, but they were joyfully letting it happen. I mean, just wrap your minds around this. The author, remember when you were doing all these things, when people would just walk into your house, take your flat screen TV, not that they had flat screen TVs, take your couch, not that they had couches, and just go with it. And you were laughing, you were joyfully letting it happen. Why? Why is this taking place? Look with me at verse 34. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Other translations would say, and a lasting one. That you knew that you had a better possession and a lasting one, namely Christ Jesus. What made this suffering bearable for them? What grew this spiritual athleticism in them? What made it that they were joyfully letting people come in, take their stuffs, slapping them on the butt on the way out, going, hey, see you tomorrow. Come back and get whatever you want. None of this stuff matters to me. You cannot put me down. Why? Because they knew they had a better possession and a lasting one, Christ Jesus. So they were untouchable. Suffering, persecution, hardships, ridicule, public theater style ridicule, coming to steal their property, doesn't matter. Because they had a better possession and an abiding one. But here's where things start to turn a little bit. Verse 35. Therefore, remember that. Remember all that you did. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need, you have a need of endurance, so that you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. They're slowing down. Their zeal for the gospel, their excitement, energy about King Jesus, what got them going just a few, 15, 10 years ago, is starting to fade, it's starting to slip. And what is happening? 
And we see this idea, even jump down to verse 39, for those, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and preserve their souls. So you see the spiritual athleticism going from an offense to a defensive position and in a defense to an apathetic position. When they were first going after it, they were spreading the gospel, could not touch them, then they kind of slide into a defensive, like we're just going to maybe gather, but we're really not going to make ourselves known within Rome because persecution is going to happen, and then they just quit trying. And if you look just right up in the passage above, look at verse 26. This is the context of what's writing. This is how far back those Christians and Rome have fell. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved? Here are the allegations that are going against the church in Rome. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved than the ones who have trampled under the foot, underfoot the Son of God, who have profaned the blood of the covenant, which is how they have sancti- been sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace? So you have these Christians in Rome who were joyfully laughing when their property was being stolen because they had Christ and Christ was enough. And now here are the accusations against them. They're trampling the name of Jesus Christ under their feet. They've profaned the blood of the covenant and they've outraged the Holy Spirit. So, so how? How did this church in Rome get from knowing that they had it a better possession and an abiding one to getting all the way to the point of trampling the name of Jesus Christ underneath their feet? How? How quickly did this happen? What was taking place? And the answer is simple. The logic is difficult. The answer is simple is they just forgot. They just forgot the beauty of Christ. They forgot the message of Christ. They forgot the hope that comes with Christ because we as sinful human beings are far too quick to forget. And we know this to be true. For them, it was suffering. For them, it was persecution. For them, it was neglecting to gather. For them, it was sin. It was busyness. We can just draw the lines. But, but for us, it's even more simplistic. What leads us to forget What quickly leads us to forget the grace, the good news of the gospel? It's our busyness. I mean, good gracious, guys. Yesterday was so busy for me, just going from sports to this, to that, to this, to that, to finishing up for today, that I I never, I mean, just true confession, I never had time yesterday to slow down and consider the weight of what took place yesterday. The Saturday of nothing, to put myself in the shoes of the apostles who watched their king die yesterday and get to celebrate his resurrection tomorrow. But my day was so filled with stuff that I didn't even get to slow down and think about it. So what made me not remember, what led me to forgetting the good news of the gospel just yesterday was busyness. But we've got comparison, we've got pride, good gracious, we've got social media, We've got politics. You just fill in the gap. What leads us to forget the message, the hope of Jesus Christ? 
We all deal with it. So what do we do then this morning? Well, we have to look at what they did. What was the author's argument? How do you combat forgetting the good news of the message of Jesus? Look at verse 32. First, he calls them to remember the former days. Recall the former days. So for us this morning, for the believers in the room, remember when Christ first saved you. What did you feel? What excitement did you have? What zeal was going on in your heart? What did you believe that was true then that you don't necessarily believe that is true now? That you were true agents of reconciliation? That you had the power of Christ in you, that you could proclaim truth wherever you went? What was it that was true then but isn't true now? Because for him, the author of Hebrews, he's asking them, listen, is Jesus real or is he not? Because you saw the real things that were taking place. You survived the ridicule of the public theater. You remember that, church? You survived the looting and plundering of your property. Do you remember that? So the first argument that this author goes back to is remember what it felt like. Remember what you experienced when Christ first saved you. Recall the earlier days. Man, we were so zealous, weren't we? We were so unstoppable when Christ first saved us. But over time, we've forgotten. We've gotten slow. We moved from offense to defense, from defense to apathy. So first we see the author, remember what Jesus did through you. But second we see the author continuing this argument, remember what Jesus did for you. So jump just right back up to chapter, or verses 19. Stephen preached this one last week. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh. Remember what Jesus did for you. For them, it was, hey, you remember the curtain? You remember the Holy of Holies? You remember that you had no access directly to God? That's not true anymore. But because of what Christ did, because of what you know of, 35 to 40 years later, because what you know of, Rome is still trying to get a grip on, the Jewish church is still trying to get a grip on, the the push of Jesus through this culture is palatable. No one knows what to do with Christ dying and Christ being resurrected The temple, the sacrifices aren't working the same way. Remember all that Christ did. And this is what we do on Easter. I mean, this is the joy of Easter is we get to slow down and remember. We get to hear the stories. We get to talk about them. Yeah, sure, we get to have some fun too and Easter eggs and all this kind of stuff, but we also slow down and remember 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the message of Easter. This is the message of the gospel, that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us. He placed all of our sin on him so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might be able to pursue God, so that we might be able to talk to him, to be in right relations with him, because there was nothing we could do to earn that. Church, do we remember that? The author's pleading with them, remember what Jesus did in you, but also go back before that and remember what Jesus did for you. Remember Christ crucified. 
And he goes even deeper than that. Remember, Jesus did in you, for you. But remember, this has been talked about forever. This has been prophesied for you. If you have your Bibles, just for this text, flip over to Isaiah 53. I just want us to read this together. Because as Jewish Christians, this audience knew Isaiah. So they were starting to come to grips. All right, I see what Jesus did in me. I've understood what Jesus did for me. But let me see how this fits into the grand narrative of Scripture. Because all of this was prophecy fulfilled. Isaiah 53. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. We're going to read all the way through 11. I just want us to see this this morning. He was despised and rejected by men. Again, this is the prophecy of Jesus. Despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like have sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like the sheep that was before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off, Out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his, souls, of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. So the author here is quoting Habakkuk. He's quoting Isaiah. He's alluding to the prophecies of the old. Remember what was told of Christ. Let this bolster your confidence because this has been talked about. And not only in Isaiah. We can go to Psalm where we see King David prophesying. Guys, we can go back to Genesis. We can go back to the sin when sin first came in the garden. What took place? David was going to put an enemy between the serpent and between the man. That he will bruise your heel, but the man will crush his head. This is the first prophecy of King Jesus destroying sin, destroying death forever. They knew the stories, but they forgot. We know the prophecies, but we forget. And so what the author is trying to do for Hebrews is to bolster that confidence. Get out of apathy, move to defense, and move to offense. Grow in that spiritual athleticism once again. Get excited about Christ and all that he's done Why? How? 
remember, remember. So we see the logic of the argument for the author here, but what about for us this morning? How do we remember? What have we been instructed to do to remember the goodness of Christ? First, it's this. It's this. It's this singing together, talking with each other, encouraging one another. Hebrews 10.24, which we studied last week, says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So how do we encourage? How do we bolster confidence? How do we move from apathy to defense to offense? It's this right here. We should never neglect, we should never put down the power that comes with the church gathering. This is the church, this is the body, and this will push us forward. But apart from that, what else? How can we remember? And this is where we see the church calendar being massively important for us. This is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we go through Advent. This is why we have uh, these spiritual holidays for us so that we can remember so that we don't forget But specifically this morning, we see Easter, we celebrate he's been risen, and we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. And this is straight out of the mouth of Jesus in Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And Jesus said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So how do we bolster our confidence in Christ We take the Lord's Supper together to do this in remembrance of him. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, this is the cup poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is now on the table. So here's what I want us to do as we start to wrap up this Easter Sunday. Church, we need to remember. I mean, we are coming out of a 2020 that no one wants to remember. We're coming out of a hard season, and the uncertainty of the future is definitely not there. If you watch the news, there's something coming, 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 coming. It's, just, it's hard to keep up with all the things that are happening. What should I care about this week? What should I be invested in this week? And all that is good and right. But if it's taking our energy, our efforts, our attention and mind away from Christ, that is an idol that needs to be slayed if it's taking our mind and attention away from what Christ has for us, if we're forgetting to remember the goodness of Christ and we're slowly moving from offense to defense to apathy, we need to put it away so that we can remember what Christ has done. Because here's the reality. 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, then what are we doing here? If what we are celebrating today, that Christ has been risen from the dead, did not happen, Paul literally says we should be pitied among everyone. We should be pitied the most because we're believing a lie. 
And you'll see all these things popping up on history and discovery. And here's 15 reasons why Jesus wasn't actually raised. Here's all these hypotheses. Maybe he just slept really heavy. Maybe this, maybe, no. Stop that nonsense. Occam's razor. The obvious answer is typically the right one. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and he was raised from the dead. Because this book told us for thousands of years that was going to happen. That is the answer. That is what we celebrate. But do we forget? Have we forgotten? Where are we this morning? So I just want to read one more passage over us as we think through the power of this day, the power of the gospel the power of Christ being raised from the dead, defeating death so that we can be made sons and daughters of him. So as we start to prepare our minds for a time of communion, let me just read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 over us so that we can remember. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's all of us. By nature, children of wrath. But here's what we celebrate this morning. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, this is what we remember, that we were all children of wrath, that because we were born sinners, we were all deserving of God's wrath. We were all deserving of hell. That's where we were going. But God, being rich in mercy, pursuing us, loving us, doing all that is required for us to be in right standing with him, we bring nothing to the table. When we come and take communion in a few minutes, remember what you're bringing to the table, nothing. You bring nothing to this table, but you receive everything. All you bring is your sin, your brokenness, and your despair. But we walk away from this table with the blood that was spilt for us and the body that was broken for us so that we can be made new, we can be made alive together with him. So let us remember that apart from Christ, we are sinful And because of that sin, we deserve death. Let us remember that nothing we can do can ever atone for our sin. Let us remember that although we turn our backs on God, he still sent Christ for us. 
Let us remember that Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. Let us remember that although he could have stopped the events of his murder at any time, he chose not to. Let us remember that Jesus sat before Pilate, an innocent man, and remained silent with false accusations being thrown at him. Let us remember Jesus carrying his cross to Golgotha. Let us remember him crying in agony. Let us remember the crown of thorns beaten into his head. Let us remember the nails driven into his hands and to his feet. Let us remember the mock, mockery sign head above his head. Here is the king of the Jews. Let us remember the insults that were thrown at him. Let us remember the spear that was driven into his side. Let us remember his final words. It is finished. Let us remember the darkness that immediately fell. Let us remember them taking him down and putting him in a tomb. Let us remember the silence and the brokenness of those that followed him, sitting, waiting, contemplating what's next. But let us remember that glorious morning of an empty tomb. Let us remember the excitement of Peter, the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. Let us remember the excitement of Peter running to the tomb to see that he had been forgiven. Let us remember Jesus walking, talking, eating with his apostles. Let us remember Jesus ascending to the right hand of God. Let us remember him sitting at the throne with the enemies being his footstool. Let us remember that he is victorious and we can be forgiven. Church, let us remember. So as we enter into this time, here's what I ask. Let us stop contemplate, and remember. Communion biblically is a time for those that are believers to come and get the, body, the bread that represents his body, get the juice that represents his blood. So if you're not a believer yet, we would ask that you just sit this one out and think and consider this very important question, who is Jesus Christ? If you want that forgiveness, if you want to be made in right standing with God and you realize that you can do nothing to earn that, and we want to pray with you, we want to talk to you about that, and I'll, I'll be in the back, some elders will be in the back, but for the rest of us, for the believers in this room, let us stop and remember. So here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, the lights are going to go down, we're going to have just a time of quiet, prayerful reflection and when you're ready, come, come get it. The table is set. It's laid out for us. And you can grab it. You can take it back to your chair. You can do it right here. You can do it over on the side. You can do it with your family, individually, whatever you want to do. But let us remember the words of Jesus Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. Because this is the Easter message. This is the gospel message that Christ came into the world to save sinners like us. And for that, we celebrate and that we remember. So let's pray. Jesus, let us 
sit and just ponder the truths of your scripture. That although we were sinners, although there's nothing we could do to earn salvation, there's nothing we can do to be made it right standing, there's nothing we can do to earn our forgiveness. Father, you did it all for us. For our sake, you sent Christ to rescue us. For our sake, you sent Christ to redeem us. For our sake, you sent Christ to save us. And what we celebrate this weekend, what we remember this weekend is that process. That it wasn't as simple as writing a check as we've seen through Hebrews. There must be blood for sin. And the animal being sacrificed must be perfect. So Father, you sent your only son, the perfect one, to be that sacrifice for us. To atone for our sin, to cover us. And so this morning, Jesus, we want to quiet our hearts and remember that. We don't want to be like those in Rome. We don't want to be like the church receiving this letter that has fallen from the spiritual athleticism they've moved from the offense to defense to apathy. We, we don't. We don't want to get caught up in the affairs of the world and be distracted on what you've called us to do. We don't want to belittle you. We don't want to trample you under our feet. We don't want to mock the crucifixion. So Father, would you forgive us when we have? Would you forgive us when we make anything more supreme than you? busyness of our world outweighs the goodness of you. Father, would you forgive us? Would this morning be a morning of remembrance? The goodness of your love for us. And as we take the bread, as we take the juice, would we remember, would we rejoice, would we celebrate that we can be made new, that we have been made new through the sacrifice you made for us, through the defeat of death, through the resurrection, we have been made brand new. So church, with our eyes bowed in this moment of quiet reflection, I just want to leave us here. Consider, ponder, remember all that Christ has done for you, all that Christ has done through you, all that was prophesied about him. All of it has came to fruition. That Christ came into the world to save sinners like us, and it has happened. And in that we rejoice, in that we celebrate. So the table is open whenever you're ready. We encourage you to come get the bread, get the juice, and partake. If you want to pray or talk or process, I'll be in the back. After we've taken communion together, we can just celebrate that Christ has risen from the dead.